overall, uh, we are not necessarily on a very good uh, shape in terms of trends. Um, I mean, worldwide, the prevalence of diabetes is increasing across region uh, with more or less, I mean, uh, I would say uh, urgency. We are actually working on new update this year, but the last one are uh, dated now from 2016, showed that more than 422 million of people living with diabetes, mainly in low and income countries, and this is actually uh, increasing more than in high income countries in all regions, and diabetes is also one of the four main NCDs with an increase of premature mortality, so mortality before the age of 70. So it's, uh, it's not only increasing in prevalence, but also in, in terms of attributable death to, to diabetes. Why? Uh, population are aging, lifestyle uh, changes, uh, the increase of uh, also uh, occidentalization, westernization of lifestyle in many parts of the world. Uh, and also the fact that obesity in particular is, a, is an important driver also of uh, at least type 1 diabetes. You mentioned that the situation is uh, worsening at the moment, right? Is that partly uh, the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic or uh, what was the influence of pandemic in general on uh, diabetes disease burden? I mean, as you are aware, people living with non-communicable disease at large uh, specifically on diabetes, cardiovascular disease, uh, but also people with uh, kidney disease and to some extent some respiratory diseases are more vulnerable to the infection and to the complication and to have much more severe outcomes. And we have mm -hmm. been conducting some systematic review to really document that uh, more precisely. So clearly the COVID pandemic have had a specific impact both on people themselves with non-communicable disease because of the vulnerability, but also because of the disruption of services that was caused by COVID. And we have some documented evidence. We have launched a series of uh, survey and assessment during the various phase of the pandemic, showing how much impact the COVID pandemic had had on disruption of services across programmatic areas. For NCD, more than 60 to 70% of the services has been interrupted across the globe, and I think it was more than 60% for diabetes services in particular. So not only people were more vulnerable to the infection, to severe illnesses and to the mortality related to COVID, but also through the disruption of services, people were not able to maintain care sometimes. And so the countries have to come out with mitigation measures. It was partially due to the public health measure, the lockdown, the inability to maintain outpatient services. So some countries were prepared to have like telemedicine, mobile consultation, but many countries were, have not been able to anticipate this in terms of emergency preparedness. So this has meant that people cannot get access to medicine, have difficulty to reach out to their healthcare providers. So this is something that we learn also with, with this pandemic. How can we build better in terms of uh, services and emergency preparedness so that we anticipate those needs in the future? What about the most recent economic crisis uh, that's happening right now? Uh, is that having any influence on uh, the situation with diabetes? I mean, by default, chronic disease require recurrent, is something that is lifelong and re require recurrent encounter with the health system. If you are poor already or in a vulnerable position, you have to pay out of pocket every single time. You will have to go to meet a doctor to uh, purchase your medicine or even take a transportation to reach out to the healthcare services. So what is really key in this discussion is that 
what pre-exists in a given country that protect people from against what we call catastrophic health expenditure or impoverishment because they have to pay. So all these uh, system of prepayment insurance coverage are really key. And many countries have not necessarily covering for all the costs uh, related to diabetes care. Maybe they might cover some part of the drugs, but not for the diagnostics. And all those elements are clearly having a, a contribution. So when any emergency hit or crisis hit further, it further impacts um, the, the ability. So if people are unemployed or if they can no longer pay for the drugs or even for livelihood, it will have an impact. And for diabetes, what is key is that is not only medicine, but the ability to maintain a healthy diet and physical activity. So all those parameters are difficult when people are further impoverished uh, given the uh, environmental context. Are sugar substitutes effective in terms of preventing diabetes? They are, I mean, uh, a no calorie and low calorie alternative to sugar, but they are typically marketing as being weight loss aid, but not good evidence for that claim. There was a, a work ongoing to review the evidence and the benefit of uh, alternative to those, I mean, uh, sweeteners. So this is something that we are looking at at the moment. So in the coming months, we might have more evidence, but for the time being, we don't really have very convincing element that those alternatives are better than sugar. So basically, uh, whether people uh, take their coffee with uh, regular sugar or they take it with uh, a sweetener, uh, it oh. doesn't really matter in uh, long no, term. No, uh, clearly not, uh, not necessarily. I mean, we have more impact probably of sugary beverages at large and the, the soda that uh, is consumed in large quantity, then adding an alternative uh, to your coffee. This is not, I mean, where you would see the, the impact. But again, as I said, it's something that require that we review the evidence and there is ongoing work actually on those two uh, issue guidelines from the uh, nutrition group working with us. Are there any uh, groundbreaking uh, treatments in the pipeline uh, for diabetes at the moment? You know, I started this course saying that you just celebrate uh, 100 years of the discovery of insulin and people have not receiving even access to something that exists and was meant to be. I mean, when it was discovered, it was at one dollar. Now it, it's costing <laughs> uh, 50 times more for one uh, one day of treatment, depending of where you find yourself in the globe. So my answer to that is that, yes, there will be always and there are actually some promising uh, example of grand baking uh, in the last 30 years. We move from an insulin that was saving people to die to preventing complication with pens and much more convenient technologies to now something that is even automated. Example, what we call the closed loops, the ability to have a sensor even attached to your arm with your iPhone and you can check on a regular basis and control with a pump how much you do, so it's much more calibrated. So there's kind of automation, like an artificial pancreas. So this is one of the future that with the automation and the, the miniaturization of these uh, closed loop, more and more we will be able probably to help having those system in place. And as I said, those patches that you see in the arm of some of the people already with the iPhone connected, they can know in real time, the glucose level, I think, is one of the recent innovation. We have also some patches with micro needle arrays patches loaded with insulin that can be released only when there is high level of uh, glycemia. 
So this is uh, another future, not something that is fully uh, applicable now, but this is some of the area where we call it the smart insulin, you might have heard it, that are sensible to the level that are glucose responsive. So in other words, the insulin is contained in small patches and these patches release the insulin only when uh, glucose is high in the blood, the sugar is high in the blood. This is actually one of the, I mean, there are some prototypes, but not something that is uh, still there. The third element is uh, what we call um, cell therapy, is basically how we can create new cells or cells that mimic uh, the function of the pancreatic cell. And this is another area of research at the moment. But what I would like to stress is to go back also is that we have a lot of available drugs that are inaccessible to most of the world. And this is where we need also to find a balance. And also this is where WHO is trying to influence. If you stop the production of human insulin now and just replace it by analogs that are 50 times more costly, this is not a solution. So what we are trying to recommend also, and we have a private sector dialogue with the pharmaceutical companies that maintain human insulin production. If there are analogs production that are actually biosimilars, it's good, but it has then to be competitive on the market that are newcomers on the market to reduce the price because it's still not reachable. So we are trying to make sure that when country prioritize, they still maintain insulin, these also oral drugs that already exist that are in generic form that need to be available everywhere while considering to increase or expand the panoply of the drugs that need to be made uh, available.